0: In heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgave our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. How are we? Good. Excellent. We thank the Lord Jesus always. And forever for allowing us to be in his presence, in his holy presence, and in his holy church to uh, share with you the word of God, which is the life. Uh, it is the reviving and the life-giving word. It is the living water that the Lord Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, He who drinks of the water I give shall thirst no more. So... Um, We thank the Lord Jesus for allowing us to be here in His Holy Presence and to share His Word with you. This evening's topic is going to be from the book of Isaiah, which is a chapter of the Old Testament, and He is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And we're going to be reading three verses from chapter 61, uh, Isaiah 61 and verses 1 to 3. Isaiah 61 and verses 1 to 3. ...to give them beauty for ashes. And we thank the Lord Jesus forever and evermore. Amen. These three verses of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3... ...the Lord Jesus is actually giving us salvation... ...and the way to salvation. How do we receive salvation... And what is the way to salvation in these three short verses, which are profoundly deep? Isaiah is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And Isaiah is also referred by the theologians and scholars as the fifth gospel writer of the New Testament. And the reason for that is because Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah... Uh, roughly around 800 BC. So about eight centuries prior to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, prior to his coming. Now, seven, eight hundred years ago, or being away and distant from the Lord Jesus, but when he came and wrote his book, as if he was sitting, eating, drinking, and living with Jesus Christ. That's why they call him the fifth gospel writer, because... His his information is so detailed, absolutely amazing, yet he wrote it 800 years prior to the coming of the Messiah. Now, just a small introduction before we go into these three verses. The Lord Jesus came to the River Jordan. And when he came to the River Jordan at the age of 30, then John the Baptist saw heaven opening and then a dove, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus of Nazareth as a dove and resting on him. And he hears this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. To him you shall listen. And then John the Baptist said that I saw what I saw and claimed it and believed in it. And as you know, rumors spread around very quickly. When you say something to someone, before you turn your back around, the whole city has heard of what you just said to that person. So rumors started spreading about that this is the Messiah. Christ has come. John the Baptist, who was held very highly in reverence and respect by the Israelite nation, as the prophet of God, they believed what John said to them. So therefore, everybody started talking. The Messiah is here. John the Baptist has actually said it. So rumors got started going around and everybody started searching for the Messiah. But what happened after he came out of the river Jordan? He goes into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights, He disappeared from the face of this earth as far as people are concerned. They started looking, who is this Messiah? Where is this Messiah? There is no trace of him. 40 days he's gone missing totally. As you know, rumors when they come out first, they are hot and fresh. After a little while, they start diminishing and dissipating. So one day went by, two days, one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. You know, the rumor is kind of hot and it started becoming colder and colder. By the time the Lord Jesus came back triumphantly after the 40-day fasting, the rumor had gone. So after the Lord Jesus coming back from the wilderness, he goes straight to Nazareth where he was raised. And he goes straight to the synagogue. And he enters the synagogue And as he entered the synagogue and said, those priests, scribes, Pharisees that were sitting there, they started whispering one to the other saying, hey, look who just came in. Don't we do that when we're in the church? Naughty boys and girls. Why do you care who came in and who went out? None of your business. Stop whispering while you're sitting in the presence of the Lord. But anyway, because the rumor went out, and then Jesus disappeared, and all of a sudden, after 40 days, he's sitting in the synagogue. So they started whispering, hey, look who just walked in. It's the Messiah. The one who claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God. God is his dad. And one of them went to the high priest. He said, give him the book to read. Let's see who this man is. Is he really who claims to be? And what the rumors have been telling us? So they, the, the, the person in charge in that synagogue gave the Old Testament. Now at the time, it was not a book like you have the Holy Bible as a book. It, they were all scrolls. So they gave him the scroll, and the Lord Jesus opens the scroll to read, and he reads Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops halfway through verse two. He does not continue the entire verse. And what? And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The continuation of this verse and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus does not read the second half of the same verse. He just reads the first half of it and then shuts the scroll and then looks at them and says, Today, what you just have heard has been accomplished. They said, what? He said, yes, right before you, these prof- this prophecy, these words have been fulfilled this very moment. They said, hang on a second. This prophecy is about the Messiah's coming. Are you really saying that you are the Messiah? For you to be, you know, for you to dare to claim that these words have been today fulfilled? So you are there, you must be the Messiah. Hang on a sec. You are the son of the carpenter. You're the son of that poor girl, Mary. They grabbed him, and they wanted to throw him from the top of the mountain. They said, get out of our synagogue. How dare you claim to be the Messiah? Now what is Messiah? God. The Lord Jesus gave them the credit. He was not upset. You know why? Imagine us here. You live in in one of the suburbs of Sydney, whichever suburb it is. And then your next door neighbor, you you came to know that they had a son. the, 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 The mother gave birth to a son. And this son grew older and older right before your eyes for 30 years. For 30 years, your neighbors, and you've seen their son growing older and bigger right before your eyes for 30 years. And after 30 years, this son, you, which you have known very well to be the child of these parents who are your neighbors, then this son after 30 years comes to you and he says, Hey neighbor, by the way, I am God. <laughs> what would your reaction be? Yeah, right, yeah, okay, you're God, okay, fine. But if he says, I am God, and he is serious about it, then you'll say, hey, please, get out of my sight. I don't want to talk to you. There is something wrong with you. Isn't it true? We would have done the same thing. So Jesus comes and says, these words have been fulfilled today. I am the Messiah. So they throw him out. Sad, isn't it? The Lord Jesus in these three verses is trying to give us salvation and the way to salvation. Salvation comes in these three verses. There are six important steps to salvation. Six important steps to salvation. The first step to salvation, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Verse one. Now, how many times was Christ anointed? Well, to know how many times Christ was anointed, we need to look at King David, how many times he was anointed. Because King David symbolically represents the Lord Jesus. Now, King David, we know for a fact that he was anointed three times. The first time he was anointed at his father's house when he was still very young, when the Lord God sent Samuel the prophet and the priest. And he said to, I'll give you a sign to one of the sons of Yesa or Jesse. And that sign that when you see one of his sons walking in and a star appearing on their forehead, that son is to be anointed by you, Samuel, as the king of Israel. So the first anointing was his dad's house when he was very young. But he did not become straightaway king. He became later on. King Saul started chasing him to kill him. And many years went by. And then a time came. He was anointed by the tribe of Judah. Now King David comes from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah anointed King David as king. And he became king over Judah for seven years. And after those seven years, as the king of Judah, the other 11 tribes of Israel joined with the tribe of Judah. And all of them anointed King David over the entire Israelite nation, i.e. the 12 tribes of Israel. So David was anointed three times. When he was in his father's house, when he became a king over Judah, and when he became a king over the entire Nation of Israel so just like King David was anointed three times so as Christ has three anointings the first anointing of Christ is in his father's house and this is what we call the eternal anointing from the very beginning he was with his father in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God from the very beginning that has no beginning, He is the anointed one to be the king and ruler over everyone. So that's the eternal anointing. And this is our topic. Jesus Christ came to give us the eternal anointing. And this eternal anointing, He gave us salvation. Salvation, He gave it in six steps in these reverses. Now the second anointing of the Lord Jesus is at the River Jordan. At the age of 30, the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. He was anointed as priest and king forever. And the third anointing will be in his second coming. The third anointing will be in his second coming. And you'll find that in the book of Psalms, chapter Psalm 2 verse 6. It says in Psalm 2, verse 6, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I have set my king over the hill of Zion. He has been anointed to be the king of Zion. And that is the third coming of the Messiah. Now, let's look at the eternal anointing. What will our Lord Jesus Christ present us in fullness? Six things to mankind He's given us through His eternal anointing that He is the Logos that is with God and that is God Himself from the very beginning. Number one, I came to preach good tidings to the poor. The first way to salvation, you need to be poor. Salvation is given to those who claim to be poor. I came to preach good tidings for those who are poor. Now, why was I anointed? I was anointed so I can come and preach the good news to the poor. I didn't come to preach to the, good, to the rich people. I came to preach to the poor people. That's why I was anointed to preach the good news. Now, what is the good news? The good news is talking about the Holy Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the good news. These good news or this good news is talking about this person, this character called Jesus Christ. The good news is about Jesus Christ. Now, why is it called good news or happy news? Because it is happy because you've never heard it before. Why do people get happy when they hear something that they haven't heard before? It's joyous because I've heard something new and it was so amazing. I became overwhelmed with happiness and joy. So happiness comes from hearing something new. The Gospels came to preach and claim something that no one ever was able to preach and to claim. Now, if we're talking about happy news as in happiness only... Well, other people prior to Jesus Christ came and brought happy news. The prophets of the Old Testament came and gave new happy news. And other people came and gave happy news. But what is new and what is happy about this message? One thing. I came to give you salvation. I came to give you forgiveness of sins. I came to set you free. Now that is something new. And that is something definitely happy and joyous. You know what is the ultimate gift anyone could really have in life? Is when you are all at fault... And the other person comes and says to you, it's okay, I forgive you. This is priceless. When you are being taken to be put to death, you've been sentenced to death by hanging or by lethal injection. And as you're going there to be sentenced to your own death, someone comes along and says, hey, set him free. Let him go. Don't kill him. I'll take his place. Now this, no one ever gave this kind of a news until Jesus Christ came. That's why it is new and it's absolutely joyous because he's coming with a message to give you something that no one was able to give. And that is to give you freedom, to give you life and eternal one too that never ends. In that sense... I came to preach salvation to the poor. Now, to understand who are the poor, we need to look at who are the poor in the flesh. Poor in the flesh, who are they? What do we call them? Street beggars, yes? We've seen them, yeah? Like in the street of Sydney, Sydney. And on the sideways, they're sitting there and asking for help. And people sometimes walk in, they throw a few cents, and sometimes they throw nothing. There are a lot of street beggars, but not everyone is genuine. Sometimes some of them are not genuine. It's an easy way of making money, so I'll make myself poor. But to be genuinely poor, where you are deservant of someone else's help, two things have to be present in that person in order for me to say this person is genuinely poor and they need my help. And without my help, they cannot survive. Two things. One, they have not inherited anything from their parents. Their parents went and left them absolutely nothing. Because imagine, and the other point is, is I'm unable to work. I'm crippled, I'm paralyzed, there's something physically wrong with me that is stopping me from being able to do any kind of labor. Imagine I'm paralyzed, but I have an inheritance from my parents. I'm not worthy of being helped by you. I'm not a street beggar. Because even though I'm crippled, but my parents left me wealth, I can live of that wealth. If, I, if my parents left me nothing and I'm not crippled or paralyzed and I can physically work, then I should get up and go and work in order to live and survive. I'm not worthy of someone else's help. But imagine if I am left with absolutely nothing from my parents and I am absolutely crippled and paralyzed, I cannot work. Therefore, I am in reliant on someone else's help 100%. That is called a genuine beggar. And is worthy for me and you to go and help such a person. Paralyzed, left with nothing from the parents. Therefore, they need someone else's help. And they rely on someone else's help. And they rely on someone else's sweat. You work, you go and feed them. Because they can't. And without you, they will perish and they will die. Now, let's look at this. Someone has left nothing from their parents, and they are paralyzed and they can't work. Let's put it in the spiritual perspective. Who is my parent? Adam. What did I inherit from my parents? Adam. Death. <laughs> nothing. Zelch. Death. The Holy Bible says, Just like in Adam everyone died, so as in the latter Adam, Christ Jesus, everyone will live. So what do I inherit from my first parent, Adam? Death. What is death? Absolutely bankruptcy. Zilch, zero. Bank account is zero. I've got absolutely nothing from my daddy, Adam. And to prove that I have gained absolutely nothing from my dad, Adam. And I actually inherited death and nothing else. Because when Adam broke God's word, he got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I was born outside the Garden of Eden. If I did not inherit that death, I should have been born in the the Garden. Well, my dad made the mistake. He got kicked out. Why should I be kicked out? It's not my fault. I didn't sin. He sinned. But since there is father and son relationship and connection, there is inheritance. Since it's father and son, there is inheritance. It's the blood line, my dear friend. We inherited death. And where did death come from? What did I inherit from Adam that made me die? The word I am. Me. I inherited the I am of Adam. I think we're not going to be finishing these six points. I'll stop at this. When Adam broke God's word, the deed that Adam did, it's not my problem. What did Adam do? Eat from the forbidden tree. That is not my problem. That is his problem. If I am as a son being judged by what my dad did, then it's not fair at all. And I've got a case To take to court and say, God, why did you punish me for my dad's actions? So when Adam ate from the tree, that is his entire problem. It is not the son's problem. But since I am the son of Adam, when Adam ate from the tree, something was born in Adam. That was the I am. Adam became his own me. Prior to that. His existence was God. The I am of Adam was God. But after breaking God's word, he said, God, you are no longer me. I want to be me. And don't we do that as young men and women? I want to do things my way. I want to live my way. I want to enjoy life my way. I want to have fun my way. I want to go downtown my way. I want to mix with whomever I choose. It is all about moi. This is what I inherited from Adam. This moi, the I am, gave me death. And what is death? Bankruptcy. Zelch. that's why all of us were born outside of the garden. No one went back. Now, that's what we inherited because it's father and son. A little baby. Parent, husband and wife, like men and women, they get married, become husband and wife. And then after a little while, they have the first child. The first child comes, the spoiled one. It's the, the first one. Uh, like it's exciting. First time I am now a father. First time I'm a mother. I have never ever experienced this before. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's this and that. The first child comes. Now the first child is the spoiled one 100%. From one hand to the other. From one lap to the other. It just... The moment says, "Uh, uh, uh, uh," The parents run like crazy. What's wrong? What's wrong? Habibi, Habibi, I love you. I love you. I'm here. Daddy's here. Mommy's here. And they carry him. And they spoil him. And he sleeps on their arms and their shoulders. And they're everywhere on top of them. The second child comes with the Lord's blessings. If the Lord wants you to have another one. So when the second one comes... Mommy and Daddy take the second one and put on their lap. The first one is watching. World War Three erupts. Rah! He becomes or she becomes a roaring lion. They will come and they want to grab the second child from the throat and strangle them while they're sitting in their mom's lap. How dare you take my place This is my place. I sat here for two years until you showed up. Ash on your head. Until you showed up, this was my place. Why? Because I was born with the I am. A little baby understand not much. How did you know this is your place? Yes, because it's all about me. Because this me I got from my Adam daddy. And this me ruined me. Destroyed me. I started fighting with my own siblings. Because of me. And I started hating my mom. How dare you put this one in my spot. Mommy next time comes, says, I don't want you. So I inherited the I am. Now this I am gave me death. And since I was born with the I am, I was born in, in an equity, in sin. And sin made me paralyzed, crippled. So now, spiritually I am paralyzed spiritually I am bankrupt therefore I am classed as a street beggar the Lord Jesus says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news of forgiveness Good news of salvation, good news of redemption to the poor. Who is the poor? The poor that says, I am crippled, I am bankrupt. The salvation will come to those who say, I'm dead. Please help me. The Lord Jesus' salvation will not go and will not reach those who say, I can manage. I can do it my way. I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do, please. Leave that advice to your own self. I'll go to church whenever I see it fit. I'll read the Bible whenever I feel like it. I will pray when I choose to pray. I will say hello to Jesus when I see it the right time. Until then, no one is to interfere with my life. To such people, Christ cannot save. It is not that he is incapable of saving, but it is because I am shutting the door in his face and Jesus Christ will not, please listen to this, will not save you forcefully. He wants to save you willingly. St. Augustine of the 4th century says a beautiful statement. He says, The God that created you without you cannot save you without you. The God who created you without you cannot save you without you. When he came to created you, to create you, you were not there. So he created you without you being there. You were not there. He made you exist. So the God that created you without you cannot come now and save you without you. If you say, I know what I'm doing, I can do it my way, I don't need no one's help, including God. God cannot save such people. People that live and walk with their I am, they are another God against the true divine God, Jesus Christ. And this was our topic last week. About existence versus life. Blessed is the soul that comes to the Lord and say, Lord, I am poor in spirit. You came to preach the good news. You came to preach salvation to those who are poor. Jesus, I am the poor one here. How come you're poor? Lord, my parents left me no inheritance. I came... Empty handed. My parents left me nothing. And I came from the womb of my mother. In sin. I came paralyzed. I am unable to work. And I'm unable to live. I've got absolutely nothing. Therefore Lord. You are the only source. Of my salvation. I need. You to help me Jesus. I am your street beggar. Please help me. Wow. When you confess before your almighty God, Jesus Christ, and say, Without you, Lord, I am dead. Without you, Lord, I am paralyzed. Without you, Lord, I am nothing. You are the only way for me to be able to stand on my feet and to be able to inherit every treasure that is there ultimately. ...is when you are my saviour. I came to preach the good news. That's why my dad anointed me... ...to preach salvation, which is the good news... ...to the poor, not to the rich. Rich, show-offs. Poor, down to earth. And the reason why I am poor... Yet I'm not uh, acknowledging it a lot of times. St. Paul said it in his epistle to the Romans chapter 7 verse 15. St. Paul says in Romans seven fifteen, he says, The things that I want to do, I'm not doing. And those things that I don't want to do, I'm doing them. All the good things that I should be doing, I'm not doing. And all the ugly and the bad stuff, that I really don't want to do, but I'm doing it. I said, I'm going to go to church. I ended up in Star City Casino. I said, I'm going to go and pray. I ended up swearing at someone. I said, I'm going to go and receive the Holy Communion. I ended up in a pub flexing the elbow with the scotch on the rock. I said, I'm going to go and donate some money to this poor person in the Middle East or in Africa or wherever they are. I ended up playing the pokies, brother. But I came out of there hiding myself. I came out of there miserable than ever before. And I said, I'm not going to go back there again. I don't want to do this. This is not me. I hate it. I don't want to see myself there, and before I know it, I was there again. And so many times I promised myself, I'm going to church this Sunday, Sunday came, and I was not in the church. And I hated myself, I said, Lord, I'll see you on Sunday, I let you down, I hate myself. The things that I need to do, I'm unable to do. And those that I am despising and hating, I'm doing. I am bankrupt. I am paralyzed. I need Jesus to raise me and to enrich me. Salvation gives you standing on the feet from being a paralytic. And gives you treasures never ending from being bankrupt. But this salvation will only come to those who will confess before the Lord. Have mercy on me, son of David, for I am absolutely dead without you. But if I'm walking with my own I am, I am walking with my own egos, I can never humble myself before the Lord and bow before the Lord and say, have mercy on me. Come to the Lord with a broken heart. That's the next one. When I'm paralyzed, when I'm a genuine, a genuine beggar, I am now living of the sweat of someone else, isn't it? Other people are sweating and working hard and they come in and given me food, money to be able to survive. So I'm living off someone else's sweat. My goodness, what is this sweat about that Jesus Christ is making an emphasis? He said, when you come to me and say, I am a genuine beggar, I need your help, Jesus. You are living off the sweat of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the sweat. When we read in the book of Genesis... Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. When Adam broke God's word. What did the Lord God say to Adam? He says, by the sweat of your brow, forehead, you will eat your food. By the sweat of your forehead, you will eat food. Since you broke my word, you're going to have it tough brother. You're not going to earn your food. You're not going to earn your wage easily. You have to sweat it out. And when Jesus came, he sweated it out, all right. What happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? His sweat turned into drops of blood. Why did Jesus sweat? Because he's got to do it hard for me and you to be saved. For me and you to be given. For me and you the street beggars to be helped by the sweat of someone else. Jesus' sweat turned into drops of blood. Because it took the blood of the Lamb of God for I and you to be saved. For the good news to reach the poor. Look at St. Paul in Hebrews 12.4. He says, in your struggle, he's talking to us. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Maybe when you read it, you misunderstand or you don't fully comprehend what St. Paul is saying. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. What is to the point of shedding blood? He says, until your sweat turns into drops of blood like Jesus, you have not resisted sin yet. And what is blood? Death. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he died on the cross. He said, even if it takes for you to die, then die in order to live for Christ. The second point. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, he has anointed me. He has anointed me so I can bring the good news to the poor. But he has sent me so I can amend those brokenhearted. So anointing is to do with bringing the good news, salvation, forgiveness of sins and redemption. Sending Jesus Christ, he sent me to the brokenhearted. The most painful thing anyone can ever go through is a broken heart broken hearted is much more painful than having a broken bone my bone breaks whether it's my leg or my hand whatever it is yes it's very painful at the time but after a little while it gets healed and the pain goes away but a heart broken stays there for a long long time yeah. Very painful. When does a person get broken hearted? Now to those who are in relationships. Father, I loved him. You see, when, when you start talking in the past tense, <laughs> that's very dangerous now. Father, I loved him with all of my heart. How big is your heart? Ten kilos, Father, ten kilos. (laughs) I loved him with all of my heart. And he was the love of my life. All past tense. So when do we get brokenhearted? When that love, that enormous, gigantic love goes missing. That's when you're brokenhearted. When that love that you had, when that love that you lived for, when that love that you hoped for, when that love that you relied on disappears within a blink of an eye, your heart gets shattered. Now that moment is extremely excruciating. It's unbearable. I came. I was sent to heal the broken hearted I came to heal those whom have lost that love and who are the broken hearted every human being when did we get broken hearted when we lost the love of God which is the ultimate love Which is the only true, genuine, perfect, complete love. When we lost the love of God, we became brokenhearted. And no matter what we tried to do, we never were able to heal this brokenhearted. Some people tried to make their heart feel better by losing themselves. They go To one extreme called being wild. You know what? From this moment onward, I'll do whatever that comes to mind that I've never even dreamt of. I'm going to go full steam ahead and I'll never look back and I'll try everything and anything under the sun. And some, when they're brokenhearted, they go to the other extreme where they become extremely and perfectly silent numb quiet they go into their little corner shut the door and cry for themselves neither this is good nor the other one is good they are both brokenhearted why do people end up serial killers why do people end up drug leaders and drug dealers and whatever you name it why when you trace their life journey all the way to their childhood i can assure you i can assure you i can assure you they were lacking love they were lacking love That's why they revenged. Some revenged wildly by hurting others. And some revenged another extreme of wildness by hurting themselves. One went and switched off. The other one got switched on and never got switched off again. Both are bad and ugly. Jesus came to say to those who went wild to that extreme. Where they jumped and leaped. Everywhere, And those who went into that little pitch and darkness and died and cried for themselves. He came, he says, I came, my daddy sent me to heal your broken heart. I'm bringing back that love that you lost. You relied on so and so and you thought this is the only one and they let you down. There is one that never lets you down. Jesus of Nazareth. If I ask you, what is opposite to love? What would you say? Normally. What is it? Hatred, isn't it? It's normal, isn't it? That's the norm. That's the natural reply. Opposite to love is hatred. Yes? Absolutely wrong. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? Absolutely wrong. Hatred is not opposite to love or the enemy of love. Not at all. When you hate a place, I'm not going to hate, hate a person, don't hate, because Christianity does not hate people, right? The Lord Jesus said, love everyone. But if you hate a place, you, what do you do? the enemy of hatred is changing direction. If you hate a place, you don't go there, you go opposite to that place. So hatred, the enemy of hatred, changing direction. So what is the enemy of love? Disappointment, not hatred, disappointment. When you've put your entire hope in one, and then you ended up disappointed, the number one thing gets destroyed Out of disappointment is love. The number one gets destroyed. Then there are so many other things. Self-confidence, self-esteem, trust, a lot of things. But disappointment, the number one enemy, is love. Destroys love. We relied on ourselves more than God. We got disappointed. No more love in me. We relied on others more than God. We got disappointed. No more love. My heart is broken because I relied on myself. And I said I can do it. And so and so came and played me. I thought they were my best friends. I thought I could trust them with my own life. But they ended up my very own enemies. I am disappointed with myself. I hate myself. I cannot Give love if I don't have it. I cannot. When you trust this guy, when you entrust your life with this guy, one thing for sure, 100% you will never be disappointed. Therefore, love will always be rekindled and alive and burning. Jesus came. To heal the broken heart. Because Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that can give you that true genuine love that no one ever can. If you take me, you're taking my love. And when you take my love, your heart will never be broken. I was anointed so I can deliver the message of salvation, the good news to the poor. And I was sent so I can heal the broken heart. I was sent to give you that love that you lost once upon a time. The problem with us, we are searching for that love in this world. That's an absolute false statement. That is a lie. That is a deceptive statement by Satan. Who is in charge of this world? Who is the prince of this world? Satan is the prince of the world. Can Satan give you love? Guys, wake up. Satan has no love. Since he lost God, he lost the source of love. He lost that genuine love. And if you don't have it, how are you going to give it? Satan only gives one thing. Disappointment. The, the first point is preach the good news to the poor. That's the second, that's the first step of salvation, of reaching salvation and being granted salvation. You need to be poor. The second one is you need to be brokenhearted. You need to acknowledge that you are brokenhearted. Say, Lord, my heart is empty of love. Fill it with your love. How do you fill it with your love? Take my wretched heart and replace it with your holy heart, with your sacred heart. Let us replace. Take my heart and give me yours. Now, the third and the fourth point, I'll put them together and I'll I'll stop at that. I can't go to 5th and 6th, no time. The third one is proclaim liberty to the captives. Verse 2, proclaim liberty to the captives, And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And I'll stop that. I'll stop there. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Two things, my beloved. Number one. Captives and bound. What's the difference between captivity and being bound? Two tooth. This is the difference between captivity and bound. Those who are captives, they were taking their captives willingly. And those who were bound, they were put in prison unwillingly. So captive is when you are, when you are imprisoned willingly. And bound is when you are imprisoned unwillingly. So captives is when you went there with your own feet, with your own legs. You chose to go there. Then you became captive. That's a captive. When you went by your choice, with your choice, with your decision making, you chose to go. When you went, you became captive. But when you were held bound, you were imprisoned with outside of your will. Forcefully, you were bound. So bound means forcefully you're captured. Captive means willingly you are captured. And there is either of the two. He said, I came to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who went willingly to their death, and I came to bring out of the prisons those who went unwillingly to their death. Both of them I came to free. So who are the captives that went willingly? And who are the bound that went unwillingly? I'll give you two characters from the Old Testament. Samson. Samson the Great, huh? The muscly guy. The one who had his power in his hair, brother. He had a long hair. And all his power laid in that hair. Samson was held captive. The other character in the Old Testament is Joseph, our father Joseph, the son of Jacob, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, where his brothers got against him and tried to kill him, and then they threw him in the well, and then they sold him to these merchants, you know, which took him captive and was held in prison in Egypt. Samson is captive. Joseph is bound. Samson went willingly to... Who did he go to? Delilah. He went willingly to Delilah. He left the God of Israel and went to Delilah. And Delilah held him captive. But that captivity was willingly done because he chose to go to Delilah. And what happened to him? He lost his power, lost his eyesight. Joseph. Delilah came to him. The wife of this man who happened to be an equivalent of our time and age, the interior minister, is what we call nowadays, the interior minister. He was the interior minister. Joseph, when he was sold to those merchants, eventually this interior minister bought him to be a slave in his own house. When he used to go to work, his wife saw Joseph as being a healthy, young, good, handsome man. She came to tempt him and Joseph said no way in the world I'm gonna do this and then she went out of anger and out of frustration that she couldn't get him how could he resist this good-looking woman how could he yet she came giving her entire self to him and he said no I don't want it out of anger and frustration and she said I'm gonna get you Joseph how dare you say no to me? How dare you? You have crushed me. You have embarrassed me. I'm going to fix you up. She went to her husband and said, He tried to attack me. He was held in prison. Unwillingly. He was bound. Yeah? Jesus came to, her, to set free those who were captives, willingly, and those who were bound Unwillingly, And these are the two sins. Captivity is what the Lord God said in the book of Genesis 3.17. Adam, because you broke my word, the earth is condemned. And the earth shall bring forth thorns and braids. Thorns is captivity. Braids is bound. Thorns is a shrub. That is planted, that does not move anywhere. You go to it, and when you step on it, you say, Ouch, I'm hurt. Brays, on the other hand, are also thorns. But braes they are a little thorny flower. When the wind blows, they, it is so light, this flower full of thorns, flies with the wind and comes all the way to you and entangle you with all these thorns. So the thorn that flies to you, you're being bound unwillingly. And the thorn that you fly to, you are being captive willingly. And these are the two sins, which are the thorns and the braids, which Jesus Christ, our Lord, said in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 43. Do they plug out of thorns, figs, and out of braids, grapes? Have you heard this? Have you read this? Do they plug out of thorns, figs, and out of briars, grapes? Jesus was referring to Genesis 3.17 in Luke 6.43. Thorn and briar are the two sins. No more, no less. One sin you walk to, and one sin walks to you. I'm sitting at home with my family. And these two sins is the thief and the robber. And I'll finish it off. Thief and the robber. What's the difference between a thief and a robber? Well, they both steal, but with a difference. A thief is the one that comes to your own house and robs you. A robber is the one you go to their place and they rob you. You see, when the Lord Jesus gave this parable in, in the gospel of Luke chapter 10, when he says, This certain man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, robbers came and stopped him and bashed him up. Not thieves, robbers. Even some translations, they say thieves, but you go to the original text, it's robbers. There's a humongous difference. Thieves is not the accurate translation. The original says robbers, and it's accurate. So this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going to be captive willingly. Jericho is hell. Jericho is Las Vegas, brother of our time. Jericho is King's Cross, bro. Jericho is Clubbin. Yo, what's up? Yo, what's up? Get down. Whoa, whoa. Jericho is, I go and put some tattoos here, Jesus on one hand, and Mother Mary on the other, and a big cross on the chest. I go out naked to show all the Muslim brothers, I am a Christian brother. That's not the way you reflect Jesus Christ in your life. Jericho is having the Sabufa khabibi in the back seat, going full blast. That's Jericho. Jerusalem, where I was placed in the beginning, is singing to the Lord a beautiful hymn. ...smelling incense, not Chanel and Versace. So when he was going down to be captive willingly, he wanted to live this worldly life, robbers came. Robbers are the thorns. Thorn is a plant doesn't move. You go and you step on it. So I was sitting at home. And the prayer is the sin that comes to me and and steals my house and these are the two sins one sin comes as a thought this thing that comes as a thought what is that a prayer what is that being bound when the thought comes and i'm sitting at home with my family having fun and then the thought comes and says you've just hit the jackpot in Star City Casino, I, w- I leave my family and I run to Star City Casino uh, you know, following that thought. When I followed that thought, that thought became an action. When I went to Star City Casino, the Star City Casino stripped me fully naked and kicked me out of there on the wayside between living and being dead. I came out being Thomas the Tank, choo choo and I don't know what to say to my wife I lost all the money that I was supposed to buy groceries with and pay the bills. So when the thought came to my house, that's being bound. When the thought came to my house, that's the, the thief, that's the breer. This thought held me captive in prison. I followed through the thought, I became imprisoned to it. When I became imprisoned, I got up and I put the thought into action. When I went to act it, there was the robber waiting for me to strip me naked. Jesus came to give me absolutely freedom from captivity, willingly sinning, and from being bowed, unwillingly sinning. I didn't want to think of that idea. It just came and sneaked in unwillingly. And he came to free me with his body and with his blood. Those people who claim to be Christians and don't believe that this is the true body and the blood, I think they've got a problem. It's a huge one. How are you going to be delivered from captivity and being bound? How are you going to be delivered from thorns and braids? How are you going to be delivered from thief and robber? How are you going to be delivered from the thought that comes and haunts you and robs this house? And how are you going to be delivered from the action that is making you sin all the time? Jesus said, I came to proclaim liberty to both, willingly and unwillingly sinning, by receiving my body and blood. Do they plug out of thorns figs and out of bread grapes? Fig represents his body. Grapes represents the wine, his blood. He took the thorns and he took the brays. The thorns and the braids are our sins, both willingly and unwillingly. Those sins that come with a thought and the sins that we do with an action. Uh, these are the two sins, no more, no less. These two sins, they held me captive. They held me in prison and there was no escape for me. I tried every way to get rid of this thought. It haunted me. I tried every way to stop going to that place, but I kept on going. Jesus said, I came to set you free and give you liberty. Take my body, fig, and take my blood, grapes, and I have plugged my body, which is the fig, out of the thorn, and I have plugged my blood, which is the grapes, out of the braids. He took the sins of the whole world, He took the sins of the human race, thorns and the braids, and made them a crown over his head. And out of this crown, thorn of crown, he gave me his body and blood From the cross. It is his body and blood in the truth. It's not symbolic. It's not bread and wine. It's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe in that, then you are still living in sin. You're still captive. You're still bound. When you come and believe that this is the body and the blood and you receive it, believing that it is the true body and the true blood, your sins are forgiven. Jesus came to proclaim liberty for you who as a sinner willingly and unwillingly, captive and bound, thorn and bread, thief and robber. He set you free by his Holy Eucharist. It's very important. We keep close to the church. We be persistent no matter what happens. I rely on the one who claims to give me liberty because he will never fail me. He will never let me down. He will never disappoint me. Because He is genuine in everything He says and in everything mm. He delivers. He is genuine. I pray and I hope that we've learned something today. and Not only learned, but I pray more so that we implement what we have learned today in our life. May the Lord Jesus bless you. May the Lord Jesus guide you and protect you. May the Lord Jesus always be with you. And always come to the Lord, say, Lord, I'm a beggar. I'm living of your sweat. Your sweat is turned into drops of blood. You sweated it to the death and the death of the cross. By the death on the cross, I was made whole. From bankruptcy to be rich, from crippled, paralyzed to be running like a gazelle. It is the sweat of your blood that made this possible for me. Jesus, I come humbly before you, asking you to help me because I know I cannot rely on myself unless you help me and you sustain me. Be close to the church, my beloved. Be always, always, always close to the church because the church is the ark of Noah. The Ark of Noah was symbolically talking about the Church of Christ in the New Testament. The Ark delivered those who were in it from the Great Flood. And the Great Flood is the world. The world comes to drown you. The world gives you nothing but Great Flood, temptations, left, right, and center. You want to be delivered from the Great Flood of the world? Enter the Ark. Enter the church For as long as you're in the church Even if you cannot swim You will make it But if you are the greatest swimmer in the world And you're outside the ark You will definitely drown and die It is not about what you know It is not about how strong you are And how smart you are It is about whether you are in Christ Or outside of Him So it's not what you do And what you know, it's what Jesus has done for you that matters. God bless you. I love you so much, guys. Let's stand for the finale prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you and protect you now and at all times and forevermore, amen and amen.